Mark chapter 14. We're going to come now to a new chapter, and yet we are coming to probably the one of the most uh, one of the most important uh, weeks in human history. And uh, we're coming here now um, out of, uh, we're done with the prophecy issues in chapter 13. We're done with where he's been teaching them about the future and everything that's coming. And uh, now we are going to go to the cross and to the resurrection. And in chapter 14 and 15, Mark is going to get us there rather quickly. We're coming down to 14, 15, and 16, and then we're done with the book. So this is lesson 88 if I read the paper right. So we'll uh, have, uh, you know, about 100 lessons in it, probably maybe a little more type of thing. So uh, chapter 14, verse 1, After two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. And again, in in chapter 14 and 15, we're going to have the events that are going to lead up to the Christ. You'll you'll notice verse 1, after two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread. So we're two days out, if you will. By the way, verse 3 to verse 9, we'll get into that hopefully next time. That is going to be a kind of a flashback to six days before all of this. So he's going to do a flashback, and when he does that, we'll see. Uh, we're going to see where in in chapter fourteen and fifteen where they hated him, and they're trying to kill him. And then in verse three to nine, we see someone that actually loves him and appreciates him, and we'll see that as well. So everything. Uh, come over to. Hold on to Mark. Come over to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Everything that is going to happen here is uh, the evening, the day before, the day of. And again, the details about the death and the burial and the resurrection are here. And again, Mark is going to move us through it. Not a lot of dialogue, not a lot of this and that. We'll, get, we'll, we'll spend more time probably in Matthew and in Luke, getting those details. But in 1 Corinthians 15, and why Mark 14 and 15 is so important to you and I, um, and again, the passage in, in Matthew 26 and in Luke 22 and so forth, why these passages need to be, are, are so important to us is because of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3. For I delivered unto you first of all, all that, all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Notice in verse 3, Paul says, first I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. Then there's a comma. You see that how that? That's, that's why... This information in the gospel accounts here is so important to you and I. We don't believe the gospel. We don't operate in the gospels. We don't, we don't look at the Sermon on the Mount or healings or, or the miracles. Okay, we, 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 We're talking here about the cross. And in, when you come back to Mark 14, what you have here is the details 
of, of, of the events that we should have and we should understand because of that how that Christ. So this issue here now of, of seeing the things that pertain to Christ dying for our sins, he's buried and he's resurrected for our, you know, and according to the scriptures and so forth. And that's really why this stuff, we need to appreciate the details. And when we get into this issue here, again, it's that how that Christ died for our sins, how, how these details work out. And, and again, because we have the progressive revelation given to us from Paul, we then can see that the things that are happening here are so important and so critical. You okay? Okay. All right, how that? So you've got the four Gospels, if you will. Uh, the four Gospels, again, they present the Lord in a very unique manner. Okay, there you go. <laughs> and in a very unique manner, again, we, we've got this issue of uh, Matthew depicts the Lord as the king. Mark depicts him as the servant. Luke depicts him as man, and John depicts him as God. Those four behold, behold your king, behold your servant, behold the man, behold your God. Those four branch statements. Again, he's, he's the branch of David, and again, there's uh, the king, Matthew, the servant, Mark, Luke, and again, and John. Those four pictures of of the Messiah, and, they're, and so they're going to have a four, there's going to be four views here that are going to be critical when we look at the details of the cross because they're going to focus in on the cross in those four uh, vantage points. Now, in our study of Matthew and our study of Luke and John, we've seen those, and here again is Mark, so hopefully some of this will just kind of be a reminder to you as we go along. In Leviticus uh, 23, there are um, five, well, not, not in Leviticus 23. In Leviticus, there are five offerings that are given to the nation of Israel to give. The first, so when we think about five of them, there, there is a very interesting way when you think about the five offerings and then you think about how, He's going to be portrayed in the Gospels. The first offering uh, that comes in in the discussion is what's called the meat offering. In the meat offering, nobody dies. Okay, it, it, when you think about meat, we're not talking about steak. All right, come back to Genesis chapter one. It's interesting in Genesis one. If you're just reading the scripture. When it comes to the issue of the word meat, M-E-A-T, you, you get a definition of it in the very beginning of the book, uh, especially in your King James Bible. If you look here at Genesis 1, and if you look at verse 29, now I know what happens, everybody gets all upset about, well, the meat, you know, we're not talking about animal flesh, rather we're talking about the substance of something. Uh, Genesis 1, verse 29 and God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of the tree, yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. 
In the very first chapter, what we find this word meat, <coughs> excuse me, and it's easy to be understood in that it's the meat of the what? The herb and the, and the, and the fruit. We're not talking about steak, all right? We're not talking about animal flesh, but we're rather, we're talking about food, substance. And again, in the garden, they were vegetarians. This is who they were. But the meat offering, when you go back into Leviticus and you study the meat offering out, it is literally an offering of grain and fine flour. And that's how the Bible uses meat in that it's the, it's the product of the fruit. And what the meat offering pictures is it's the per- picture of the perfect, the perfect humanity, sinless humanity. That issue there of the perfect, the perfectness of Christ and perfection, sinless. Uh, So what you have is, is you have the meat offering, no one dies. But now you get the four other offerings and everything dies. Because what you have is you have the, the, by the way, um, the... These offering, these uh, the the four offerings where every, something dies, these offerings they're 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 literally going to give four different aspects, pictures, types of the death of Christ, the the one of the trespass offering, the trespass offering deals with the issue of sin, s i n, the transgression of the law. And that the fact that you you know Paul says that you're dead in trespasses and sins, and it's the issue the trespassing the trespass offering is the issue of of the sins the actions the activity and the actions that we commit that are offensive to God they're outside of His righteousness and they and they produce guilt so His death is going to be pictured when He dies for he, he died for our sins. And that's the issue that's pictured in the trespass offering. Then you have the next one, which is the sin offering. And the sin, that's the singular. That's the, the nature, the root, the sinful nature. And the, 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 the nature that produces the sin. 2 Corinthians 5, he says, For he was made to be sin for us. See, that issue of sin there. Um, by the way, the trespass offering and the sin offering are not sweet savor offerings. The, the, these two, they, they don't, there's no sweetness in them. And they will always take place outside of the camp. When you study them out in Leviticus, they're outside of, of everything. Then you have the last two mentioned, which is the peace offering and the burnt offering, which are the results of when sin and sins are dealt with. Romans 5, 1, therefore being justified, we have peace with God. The burnt offerings, you're going to burn it to a crisp, completely consume it. And what it, talks, what it represents is the complete dedication of, to the will of God and the word of God. And again, then the peace offering, and that is that issue with the peace of God. Come, come over with me to Hebrews 10. 
Hebrews chapter 10. Now, this is going to be important, again, as we get in with Mark, as we're looking at this. By the way, each of the four offerings have a psalm associated with it. The trespass offering is Psalm 69, the, tr- the, the reproach psalm. Sin, the sin offering is Psalms 22. The peace offering is Psalms 118. And then the burnt offering is Psalms 40. So trespass, Psalm 69. Sin, Psalms 22. Peace, Psalms 118. Burnt, Psalms 40. And what you begin to notice is, as you begin to see these four uh, sacrifices really grouped together through several pieces of, uh, of the Scripture. If you look at Hebrews 10, if you look at verse 5, Wherefore, when he cometh into this world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. See, when he came into this world, perfect humanity, okay, per, sound, there's the meat offering, no, no sin, no guile in him, no sin in him. Then he says, you prepared a body for me. Now watch verse 6, in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, see, sacrifices, plural, for sin, thou hast no pleasure. So you literally have all listed here you have the sacrifice for sin and a sinless body that you cut that he came to fulfill all of the pictures and it's very fascinating they're there uh, on your way to Isaiah stop in, in Ephesians I know Isaiah we didn't know we we're going there Isaiah 53 but on your way stop in Ephesians 5 Ephesians 5 and then we'll get over to Isaiah 53 Isaiah, I'm sorry, Ephesians 5. Notice, if you will, verse 2. Ephesians 5, verse 2. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Again, there they are. Peace. Dedication being offered, that sacrifice for the sweet-smelling offer. Sweet-smelling. Again, peace and burnt offering, they have the sweet-smelling, the result of getting rid of the sin. There they are again, all, all of them listed there. Look at Isaiah 53. Isaiah, again, we ought to know this. It's something, again, how that Christ died for our sins. The, the, the issue here. Um, Isaiah 53, look at verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. There it is. He, there's a trans, transgression, trespass. He was buried for our iniquities. Iniquities, the sin offering. Sins, plural. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Again, peace, the peace offering, the transgression, the trespass offering, the iniquity, the sins offering. Drop in verse 10. 
yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, he that hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see a seed, and he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. There again, verse 12, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgression." All of the sacrifices are, are fulfilled in the cross work of Christ. And again, it's important here as we begin to see this, as we come back to Mark. So just come on back to Mark, but go to Mark 15. And there's an interesting thing here. So each of the, um, uh, of the accounts, uh, again, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they help us understand the how that. And again, we, 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 that's why we study the Gospels. And, and usually I say this when we start them. We're going to study them rightly divided, dispensationally consider them. In other words, we look at the details as they come. We don't try to make a, make, put us into it. We're not reading us into it, but rather we're leaving it alone and then we can see the emphasis and the great detail, the richness of the information that's there. And again, the focal point of all that God does, it's all centered around the death, burial, and resurrection. And we ought to know those events better than anybody else. And actually, you ought to know uh, this just inside and out. Okay? So now, Mark 15. On the cross, the only way for us to understand what the Lord is going through, what he thought, what was happening, is for him to speak, for him to tell us. So seven times, what does he do? He speaks. Three of them are listed in Luke. Three of them are in John. Okay? And then there's one that's carried in Matthew and in Mark. And I, I want to look at that here in just a, with you. In Luke and in John, he's going to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Actually, that's in Luke. Today, uh, you're going to be with me in paradise to the thief. That's in Luke. And then in John, he says, Son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. Then he'll say, I thirst. That's in John. I mean, in Luke. Then he'll say, It is finished. That's in John. Then he'll say, Into thy hands I commit myself. That's in John. So there's, so there, and by the way, there's an, a pattern in those, and we won't, we're not, we're not going to get into all that tonight. <laughs> but the middle one, the one he says in the middle, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That one is only found in Matthew and in Mark. And there's a subtle little difference between the two. Look, if you will, at Mark 15, verse 34. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, that's a quote out of Psalms 22. So run back to Psalms 22. Each of the sayings are quotes or fulfillment of the Old Testament. Hold on to Mark, and then uh, we'll need to get get to Matthew 27 here in just a minute, but notice Psalms. Uh, 
22. Psalms 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? All right, so there's the quote. All, all, all around the cross, when, by the way, when he says all of these sayings, all of those around the cross, the chief priest, the elders of Israel, the little flock that are there, the believing remnant that are there, they understand what he's saying. They got what he, what's going on here. But notice what he said. My God, there's the Father. My God, there's the Holy Spirit. Why are you, why for, why? Hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Now watch verse 3 because here's the answer to the question. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Now there's some things here. The Father's holy, the Holy Spirit's holy. They can't look on the sin. But notice what verse 3 goes, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. So if a holy God is going to be able to live in the midst of a sinful people, all right, the only way for that to happen is for verse 1 to be fulfilled, where he's what? Not a man, he's a worm. Why are you forsaking me? The only way for him to sit for a holy God to be inhabited, live with a sinful people, is that the Redeemer is in, is in position. But he's going to inhabit the praises of Israel. So we've got to come over to the end of Psalms. By the way, Psalms 22, verses 1 through 18, are all about the cross. Verse 20 and 21, that's about resurrection, the deliverance from the cross. So in 1 to 19, you, you have the description of the suffering of Christ on the cross. Then you have an issue about the re, uh, resurrection. And then in verse 21 through the, or verse 22 to the end, we're going to move to the kingdom and to his glory. But look at verse number 28. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. That is, according to Acts 3, the goal of the resurrection. He is the Messiah who will now establish the kingdom at his second coming. So he's going to come in, in his resurrection. What's, what, the, the result of it, the goal of it, is him returning in power and great glory, what we learned in Mark 13. Now look at verse 30. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. And again, that word generation, it's not time, like 40 years and so forth. It's the issue of generating. And what literally is going to be happening is he's going to create... Isaiah says that there's a nation born in a day, and that's exactly what he's going to do. He's going to create a generation that will be born again. That whole issue of born again, that nation, a new generation, how is that accomplished? Through the cross work. So when he's going to come and gather up the, well, do verse 31, they shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that, Notice, shall be born that he hath done this. 
what's he going to do? He's going to gather up that believing remnant. That nation is going to be born in the day, born again, and, and the, they're, they're going to go over there. They're going to go through the 70th week, and they're going to work into the kingdom. And it's all based on his resurrection, okay, which, by the way, is based on his death. So the way that a holy God, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The only way the holy God can dwell among a sinful people is because they have a verse 1. They have a redeemer in place. So on the cross, he's going to be what? The sacrifice, and that's what we're getting at. So now go back to Mark 15, and on your way, get Matthew 27. Okay? Because here's where Matthew records the, the, this uh, saying, and I want you to notice carefully the... The, the subtle little difference, Mark 15, verse 34, the saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Now, you'll notice, now, Matthew 27, verse 45, now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Do you see the little difference? There's a letter difference, isn't there? Mark says, Eloi, that's Mark, and Matthew says, Eli. And there, it's a subtle difference. It's one letter, but yet it's literally going to be two different names, two different titles. To God. So Psalms 22, part 1, by the way, Eloi means my master, my boss, okay, my, uh, my creator idea. Eli means my mighty God. This is about his authority. That position of authority. Now, how does Matthew view the Lord Jesus Christ as king? How does Mark view him? Servant. So you've got this connection just, uh, again, just a little difference. See. So Eloi, by the way, servant, this is going to be Psalms 22, part 1. This is going to be Psalms 22, part 2. So this is Psalms 22, 1 to 21, and this is 22 to 31. I think 31 is the last verse. I just drew a blank on what the last verse of Psalms 22 was. Yeah, 31. You see? So as Matthew, looking at the Lord as king and his throne, what does he say? Eli, Eli, my mighty God. But as 
Mark looks at the servant, what are we going to do? We're going to obey the master. And that's exactly what's happening here. And that's why knowing, <laughs> again, that unique look into the cross as the trespass and as the sin offering. And again, th that little detail, is, it's, just, it's just one letter. And yet, it's like, wow, there's, again, interior information about how we're looking at these different things here. And again, it's very important to catch that. And if they're going to, if he's going to inhabit the praises, I love that, the praises of Israel, <laughs> he's going to sit there, he's going to be their king, and he's going to be their Messiah. But the only way that that can happen is that he has the cross of Calvary is to happen. Now, come back to Mark 14. And we've got a few minutes to look here at verse 1 and 2. At least get them. Again, we need to be familiar with this information. It's critical. Because this is the how that Christ died for our sins. How did all that happen? Here's the details. 14.1. After two days was the feast of Passover and of unleavened bread. So, Passover, okay, Passover is always the 14th of the first month, Abib, okay? Then unleavened bread goes from the 15th out to the 21st, okay? Usually you will hear this Passover, you know, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and that will include Passover. You hear it sometimes called Passover. So, sometimes it's called differently. But technically, it's Passover and then, and then Unleavened Bread. It, they're not the same. They're two different things happening there. That's why when the Lord died, he doesn't die on Friday. He doesn't die on Wednesday. He dies on Thursday. The Sabbath, the Saturday, that's a Sabbath day. Then there's a high day, and they've got all that in there. When we get into later on in Mark, we'll look at the dating, and, and, figure, and I'll show you all that. That gets back into chapter 13 there when he gives the watches out. That helps as well. By the way, you know when Peter's going to deny, he will get into uh, Mark 14, uh, down about verse 30. He's going to, the cock's going to crow three times, Pete, and you're going to deny me. Well, th that is during that midnight to 3 a.m., you know, early morning. The point is, is Christ, Paul says, Christ is our Passover. When he dies, he dies on Passover. That's when he dies. And we'll see this as we go through. We'll see Leviticus 23 and, and, the, and the schedule and so forth. But what I want you to catch is, is after two days, was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread. So the Passover's coming. Now, by the way, the 14th is not, not always a Sabbath day. It, actually, when the Lord dies, it's a Thursday. And it, that's where it is. So then this would be Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. You know, you got all this, you know, it gets a little hokey in there. But as far as trying to figure it out, but the thing is, is the Old Testament is very clear on, on what's what. He dies on Passover. 
Now, come to Matthew 26. And again, I guess you might as well stick something in Matthew because Mark doesn't give a lot of detail. Mark just, boom, runs with it. Okay? Matthew 26. If you look here at verse 1. And it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these things, he said unto his disciples, Ye know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Again, notice what he's doing here. In two days, you know what you're going to see? You're going to see me die. And you're gonna die, he's going to die on Passover. And he's, again, he's talking with them. He's predicting when he's going to die. And he's two days out there. It came, uh, yet ye know that after two days is the feast of Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. On Passover, he's crucified. So when you, when you think about the timing of everything, and again, Mark 14, verse 1, that's what he is here. <clears throat> two days, 14.1. After two days was the feast of Passover and of unleavened bread. So God has a time schedule. Galatians 4, when the fullness of time was come. And I'll be honest with you, you can argue all day long, and I know what happens when you start talking about resurrection and then you start trying to figure out, well, Friday's not enough time, Wednesday's too much time, so that leaves Thursday. But what happens is, is people get this idea that they got to go over here and look at the clock rather than just let God's word say what it says, because God has a time schedule and the, the, the moment in time when his son was going to die has been established. He is the Passover lamb. Therefore, he is dying on the 14th of the month. Now, watch verse 1, because watch what the leadership of Israel does here and what they say. Chapter 1. By the way, you still got Matthew 26, right? <laughs> I tell you to hold it, and then I don't hold it. All right, verse 1, Mark 14, 1. And the chief priest and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. They're, try, they're trying to figure out how they can kill him. They want to kill him, but just not when, on the Passover day. But yet, when does God say he's going to die? On Passover. <laughs> God had the schedule. Uh, if you hold on to all of Matthew and Mark and come over to Acts 2, Peter says so, says this. He died when God said he's going to die. Acts 2, 23. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. See, there it is. Ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God raised up, so forth. So Peter says, guess what? He died right on time. But notice back here in Mark 14 that they're trying to take him by craft. Now, come and look at Matthew 26, because here's a little bit more detail here on how this is working out. So the chief priests, the scribes, the leaders of Israel are trying to come up with a plan to kill him, but kill him in such a manner that the people will be okay because the people have done what? They believe 
the Messiah. They believe him. They're on his side, actually. So they've got to do this quietly, subtly, craftily. Uh, Look at Matthew 26. Look at verse 3. Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people unto the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas. Look at that. Here are the political leaders of the nation. And where are they? They're up at the White House. They're up at the palace. So here you have, uh, some, some call this the Sanhedrin. That's fine if you want to call it that. But here you have the, the, the religious leaders, the politicians, and they're all gathered together, verse 4, and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtility and kill him. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. They know they're afraid of the people. So what do they have to do? They've got to craftily, subtly come in and take him. Now, who else works craftily and subtly? The adversary does. So the adversary is the one going to be working amongst this crowd to gin up and to get him to the position where they can kill him. So come back to Mark 14. (coughs) All right? So they're not not on the feast day. Okay? Verse 2. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. And again, they are officially planning to murder the Lord Jesus Christ. They're meeting in the palace. So we're in a governmental official place. They're the governmental officials, and they're developing a, plan, a way to have him murdered. So that, and by the way, they're going to get Rome to do it. So they got to figure all that out. All right? They're going to come along, and they're going to try to get him. And by the way, the reason they want Rome to kill him is because Rome crucifies. And Deuteronomy 21 says... Cursed is him that is hung on a tree. So if they can get Rome (coughs) to crucify him and hang him on a tree, then the people will see that he is cursed of God and then will reject what he's been saying and doing and uh, will then come over and say, not going to happen. We're not going to follow him. So then what do they do? They take the uproar of the people and they put it down. And what you see here is you see these vain religious guys and their ceremonial correctness is more important than thou shalt not kill, than murdering the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, come over to John uh, 18. John 18. What that tells you is this is what religion does. Religion at every turn, at every moment, is more worried about their correctness than the more weightier things of the law. Look, if you will, at John 18, and look at verse 28. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment... And it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? Now notice, 
What'd they do? They bring, they bring the Lord to Pilate, but they won't go into that, that judgment hall where the Gentiles are unless they're what? Defiled. They would be defiled by the Gentiles, and that would cause them not to be able to eat the meal, the Passover meal. So what do they do? They're more, they just they sit him at the door, and they whistle, and Pilate comes and gets him. They're more concerned with their ceremonial correctness and their rites and their rituals of their religion than they were of not killing, not murdering the Lord. Come over to John 15, or back to John 15. So here, so you have this picture here painted <coughs> of the leadership of Israel on display. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to figure out a way to get the Lord dead and yet keep the uproar down, the people satisfied, and the way they're going to do it is get Rome to come and do it so then he would be hung and they would say, okay, he would, God cursed him. Now look at John 15. In John 15, we're in the night. We're in the upper room. He's, been, he's spent the evening with the 12 apostles. And uh, in chap, really chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, 17, they go to the garden. Chapter 13, they go into the upper room. Verse 18 if the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. Isn't that interesting? They hate him. <laughs> now, look at verse 22. This is why they hated him. <laughs> if I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. What has he done? He has completely exposed the vain religious system for what it is. It's a mockery. There's no truth in what they say. It's just, it's just a, a facade. Verse 23, He that hateth me hateth my father. How can that be? Well, what did the Lord say? The, word, the words you hear me speak and the works you see me do, they're not mine, they're the Father's. Verse 24, If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my Father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled, that it is written in their law, Psalm 69, they hated me without a cause. And that's going to now be fulfilled. So when we come back to Mark 14, as we get started here, in looking at the details, again, we've got those, all the, how that, here are the details. As we begin to look at it, here they are. And as we begin to start the look at Calvary, it starts with the treachery of people who hate him because he did what? He told the truth. They fear him because he, 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 they're, they're scared. They fear him because of the people, all right? That's, lest there be an uproar of the people. Why? 
because the, the people have bought into what he's been preaching and teaching to them, so they've got to turn the people to their side so then they can kill him. And they're glad to have the opportunity to get rid of him. So they gather the whole leadership together. They get all under one tent in one room, if you will. They craft, they design a way to do it. They come over here, and they're going to get Rome involved, and then they're going to go sell it to the people, to the masses. They're going to do it under the cover of darkness, which violates their law. They're going to come in. They're going to break their own. They're going to have witnesses that can't corroborate, can't do anything. They're going to put him before Pilate. Pilate three times says he's got no... There's, no, there's nothing wrong here, and yet we're going to see that Satan is going to come in, get involved, and he's going to actually make the biggest mistake in all of human history, and that is crucified the Lord of glory. Okay? So as we get started, we'll pick up in verse 3 next time. Mark is just going to cut to the chase. Uh, he, he, we're going to see the suffering servant. But first, we need to get this sense, and we need to appreciate, and we need to see what's happening. They're going to betray him. And as we begin to see the picture of the how that Christ died and the details, we really need to come to understand and, and really appreciate what he went through, how he did it, and how he accomplished it. And again, he's coming up against people who hate him, again, without a cause, but they just vehemently hate him. And uh, it's, it's not going to be a good picture painted of the nation of Israel, the leadership. And again, they're a commonwealth, so as the leadership goes, so goes the people. And that's the idea. Okay? So we're going to pick up in verse 3. Again, verse 3 to 9 will be a flashback to about six days before. We'll see that because we'll actually get to see someone come and appreciate him and love him for who he is, and then we'll see the betrayal as we go on and, and so forth, okay? All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word, and above all, Lord, we just thank you for Calvary, for all that you accomplished there, for the fulfilling of the Old Testament, for the covenant fulfillments and so forth, and the pictures there, but then also for the revelation given to the Apostle Paul and the gospel and the good news given to him that this event, your cross, was applied and will be applied to all them that believe across the board. And we appreciate that, and we're, we thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen.